My name's Michelle Brown. I am on staff here at New Life Church, and this is Mark Williams, and we are going to bring you your three-ish things. So why don't you start off? All right, I'll start with number one. Two weeks from today, uh, Family FX is going tubing down the Couchin River. We're going to have a picnic Sunday afternoon from about 1.30 to 4 o'clock, and if you want to just picnic, if you want to just tube, we're going to have a shuttle that goes back and forth, bring your lunch, swimming trunks, anything flotation-wise, whether it's a, a tube or an air mattress or a small kayak or anything that will get you down the river, we have some extra tubes and things, uh, but it'll be just a, be a time of fun where we can get together and laugh and, and float, and uh, we have already booked a sunny day, so enough of the rain. We were going to have a nice, bright, sunny day. So this is also a registered event, so we can prepare and try and get enough tubes and things like that. So you can uh, sign up on the church website under events, I think, I believe. Is that right? Yes, it is. And you're going to be there? Hmm? Are you going to be there? I am not. You're not. Okay. All right. Well, there's but no I will be spot. there in spirit. I'll be there in spirit. Okay. I will. I All promise. Right. That's my first thing. Okay. So I'm going to bring the second thing. And, th and third. <laughs> so the second thing is, I, I know that summer has just started. Kids are just out of school. The last thing you want to talk about is back to school. So I'm not going to do that today. But I am going to let you know that our annual jumpstart is just right around the corner. And in the coming weeks, we are going to um, be up here talking about it a little bit more and, and show you some ways that you can partner with us to bless um, our, our community at large with their kids and back to school. <laughs> and our third thing is going to be onside soccer camp is coming up and there is still some registration spots available. So you can go to the website and look up information there and that will help you get your kids registered if that's what you would like them to do this summer. And that's your three-ish things. <laughs> well, this morning, we want to, uh, we're going to, in our community spot that we have this morning, what we want to do is uh, recognizing that as a, as a staff, there's been a lot of changes over the last couple of years. And so we wanted to highlight our staff over the next several months and have different staff members come up to talk about what they do, um, kind, of, kind of helping you know who's who in the zoo. But what we want to do is, is connect you with staff and for you to get to know who we are now as we've traveled through the last couple of years with some of the changes going on. So today, as you can see, I have Pastor Alana with me, and we're going to start off with, uh, <clears throat> with talking about her and she talking about herself and what her role is here and what does that look like. So it's great to have you here um, this morning, Alana. You know, in the 30 plus years that I have done pastoral ministry, there's probably a question I get asked a lot. And people want to ask me this question. So, Scott, what do you do all day? Uh, <laughs> great question. Good that it's, I'm not interviewing myself. I'm interviewing Alana, so I'll, I'll ask Alana this question perhaps a little bit better, which is, Alana, as the executive pastor, what do you do? We could talk about you if you'd rather. I think I'd be okay with that. I want to apologize to anybody I've ever asked to sit in the hot seat because it's really uncomfortable when you're talking about yourself. Um, yeah, so what do I do? Um, 
Here at New Life, it's, it's actually really specific to New Life. What does the executive pastor do? Because each church really defines that differently. And it's based on a couple things. It's based on when, what does the senior pastor or the lead pastor need? Um, and also, what does the church need, depending on how the governance structure is set up? You know, if you did a Google search, and some of you may have done this, if you did a Google search on what is an executive pastor, you'll find a variety of job descriptions. They kind of um, condense down into three main ones. One is sort of an administrative or operations oversight. One is more ministry strategic. And then the third is sort of a hybrid of those two. And that's what I've been asked to do here at New Life, is a hybrid of those two things. Um, Really what I do in the day-to-day and the week-to-week can be summed up, I think, in three words. Uh, I plan, I empower, and then I oversee. So that our lead pastor, or currently our interim lead pastor, can use their gifts uh, to focus on the spiritual health and development of the church. So what does that look like? Just really quickly, um, my kind of main three points that I hit are strategic planning. I help our elders and our pastors develop our one-page strategic plan, help us set goals that line up with our mission and vision and bring consistency to what we do through all our ministries and our staff and follow up on those uh, on a quarterly and annual basis. Um, A lot of human resource management. I oversee the staff, uh, writing job descriptions and contracts, helping um, with run staff meetings. I'm kind of the first point of contact for staff, again, to free up our lead pastor to have more time for you, the church. And then this is the empowerment part where I empower the staff and resource them to do the things that we've asked them to do and to engage with you, the church community. And then finally, for overseeing, it's just sort of, that's where I keep all the plates spinning. Um, Overseeing the general happenings day-to-day of what's going on in the church, um, including the finance uh, portion of things, budgeting, and keeping us on track with those things. And so I think just in kind of finishing that out, I think it's important to note two things. Um, One, it sounds... Of kind of businessy, and it is, but it I've part of the responsibility is approaching all of these things with a kingdom perspective. It's just not about business management, but it's recognizing that we are in the kingdom of God and working for the mission of Christ. And then also important to note that I do all of these things at the delegation. Um, of the lead pastor. So I don't do any of them really on my own. I do a lot of research and prep and I bring recommendations for them to oversee and say yay or nay. So what I'm hearing you say, Alana, is that you don't bring me coffee and book my appointments? No, although, you know, (laughs) no. Uh, we joke a little bit about that. Uh, what I will say is, I, I, is this, is that as I have served as in this role over the years, 18, 18 plus years in a role of lead pastor, this is the first time that I've ever had an executive pastor. And I can tell you, it is a blessing. It really is. Because it takes, it takes majority of the administrative stuff off my plate. I don't have to worry about the operations and administration aspect of the church. I can then concentrate, and the lead pastor then can concentrate more on the pastoral side of shepherding, leading both the church and the staff. And it really is a great blessing. Um, I just look at it and I think, I don't have to do this. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have, hey, Alana, um, and uh, how's this going? Do you have this? And, and so it is working in conjunction with me. And, and on Alana's part, there is that true part of understanding who's leading, how they're leading, and how they want things to go. So she's now transitioned 
twice into that with Ken and now with me, and then there'll be a third one when the new lead pastor comes. So uh, there's a lot of transitions for her in it, but I can just tell you that it is a blessing for the lead pastor to have somebody in this role, um, playing this role, and keeping us focused as we say, this is where we're going. Um, sometimes as, as, a, as a lead pastor, you can be a little bit of a, a squirrel, uh, oh, yeah, over here. And they just helped to say, no, this is where we're going. This is what we need to do. And uh, that accountability is so nice. So with that being said, Alana, you not being my assistant, but you assist me or you assist the lead pastor, uh, we talk about the executive side of things. So let's talk a little bit about the pastoral side of things. So my next question to you is, how do you see yourself as a pastor? How, how, is that, how does that role go for you? here. Yeah, so I'm going to use my notes a lot more on this one because um, this actually is a hard question for me to answer. The truth is that I have struggled to accept that title. Um, when I was first called into this position, and I do very much know that God called me into this role, I think I focused a lot more on the executive side and didn't pay as much attention to what that pastor part meant. And, you know, Ken and I, we struggled together in defining the title. A title shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. But we also know that it communicates something. And so as we wrestled with what that title would be, um, we did go with what we thought best communicated the role that uh, we were defining. Um, but yeah, like I say, in our culture, that, that word pastor, it means something. It means something to me, and I know it means something to you too. And I don't want to claim a calling that isn't mine. I don't want to confuse things. Um, so while it doesn't feel good to admit it, I will be honest and say it wasn't until just kind of recent events that caused me to really stop and sit with the Lord and ask him, did you call me just to an administrative role, or did you actually call me to pastor as well. And so I've been on this journey of discernment and Scott has got to have a front seat ride for that. Thank you. Um, and some of that just involved asking uh, not just Scott, but some other trusted pastors, you know, what does it mean to you to be a pastor? What does that look like? And it, it did affirm my own understanding that a pastor isn't limited to just somebody that preaches and teaches, um, but it's, it's somebody that uses their spirit-given gifts to not just engage in the kingdom, to get, uh, but to engage others in the kingdom and lead others in that mission of Christ. And, um, and both Scott and this other trusted individual said, look at Ephesians 4. There's a five-fold ministry, the apostle, evangelist, shepherd, AP, E prophet, I missed P for prophet, and, um, and teacher. And they said, look at those and see where you fit. And, uh, and so I did. There's a test you can take. I highly recommend it. We are all given gifts in those things. It's not limited to pastors. We all get to have those gifts and use them for the kingdom. Um, and so I dug into that a bit. And here's what I found about my pastoral giftings, just really quickly. And I think I was surprised. I did. I texted Scott when I took the test. I said, for once in my life, I'm kind of speechless. And I didn't know quite what to think. But as we dug into it, we realized it really did describe me. Um, in that I have the characteristics that align with the apostle. Uh, and that means that I function well in a role that is rooted in the core values 
of the organization, of the church. That means that I thrive in understanding the mission and vision. I love to keep us all on track with it. Um, I love to take the 30,000 foot view and bring it down on the ground level and say to everybody else, this is what it looks like and this is where we're going and, and keep us all on track and gather us around that. Um, I love to mobilize leaders within the congregation that will then engage with you in, in engaging with the mission of Christ together. So essentially, I have been hardwired by God to shepherd or pastor the church in the mission and vision, um, primarily with staff and elders, but through them with you as well. Uh, so I'll just close this little explanation by saying that this is not I've arrived <laughs> and understand it all. I don't. I'm still learning. But what it means to be in this position, um, I'm still understanding what God has called me to. And to be totally frank, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around his confidence in calling me and trying to accept that. Um, there's a psalm that has been especially meaningful for me in this time. It's uh, Psalm 40, verse 8, that says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And that's just kind of what I cling to right now, that for a time when I was called into ministry nine years ago, um, and God told me, you know, I'm preparing for you for something, so be ready. And I thought that something was leading worship. Lots of you know that I led worship here at New Life for many years. And I thought that's what that meant. But then it's morphed into this position. And I think I just realized now, years later, as maturity and all that comes, you start to realize that it doesn't necessarily mean you stop somewhere. I think for so, as long as I'm willing to serve, God will keep calling me and, and training me up for the next thing. And, uh, and so it is a joy to do his will. Um, his instructions are written on my heart, and if that means that for right this season I am one of your pastors, then I do so humbly, um, and recognizing what that means, not just to myself, but to you and to the Lord. Appreciate that, Alana, um, for you sharing that. And I, <clears throat> I want to kind of end our time with a couple of observations. And, and first is, is that as Raina and I came to the church here, when I came, went on staff at Camp Imidine, uh, we chose to come here. And as we did, we had the privilege of being able to sit under the leadership of Alana as she was our worship director. And uh, I felt pastored under her uh, as she led us to worship God in uh, in music, she led us to worship God in prayer. Um, I felt I was pastored, I was shepherd. I think secondly is watching Alana through this time and watching her humbly take on this position and transition into this position. Um, I first was on staff watching it from that side and now as, uh, as, uh, as an associate and now as the interim lead, I get to engage with it and, and help see it and grow it and, and mature it. So it's been a privilege for me to be able to, to do that. And the third thing I want to say is this, is that for me, whenever I look at anyone who is a pastor, and many of you are pastors, you sit here, you don't hold a title, but you pastor, because it is what God has given you. It's not because you have gained it by education, although education is very important and I highly recommend it, but it is because of what the giftings that God has given you. And I want to I want to tell you that I see that in Alana. In more ways than what she's even said, I watch her pastor people uh, many days here in the church, whether it's phone calls, whether it's conversations that she has. She's leading, she's guiding, she's praying um, with them. And so it's a privilege that we have 
an executive pastor here on staff, as it is a privilege for all of our staff. So <clears throat> that's our, our first go at trying to give you a little bit who's who in the zoo. And I think it was important with Alana because uh, Alana's transitioned to place during COVID and it's like, how'd that happen? What's this all about? We, we don't know. And we're trying to catch us all up on what's happening here. So that uh, gives you a little bit of a, of a guide and an understanding. So thank you, Alana. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, <clears throat> do you see what time it is? It's like 10.50. <laughs> and I've got this message, it's like, it could easily be like, I don't know, 45 minutes. <laughs> oh man, what do you do? Okay, um, first let me say this before I tell you what we're going to do. First is this. First is, is that... Um, uh, please pray for Joy Brewster. She broke her leg. Some of you know that. Some maybe don't know. And, um, and Joy and, and um, George sit over here. George is 99. Um, and I can tell you George's name because, or age because he's a guy. Uh, Joy is not that old. Um, <laughs> but she, but she, and because of that, she, George depends on her. And so she's in a cast from here to here. And she's in the hospital. She'll probably be there, what, for a week? Yeah. So we need to pray for Joy and for George um, during this time. And if you can help out, especially with George, um, you can see Marita. Marita, right there. Um, and uh, talk to Marita and see how you can help out. Secondly, um, please pray for Lauren Platt. Um, many of you, many of you, some of you here may know him because he taught you in Sunday school. Um, or he's taught your kids in Sunday school. And he had a stroke about two and a half weeks ago, and he's, he's young. I can tell you his age, too. He's 51. Um, and, uh, and he's recovering, and it is going to be a long, hard recovery for him. Please pray for him and as he works towards that. I was there visiting with him, and he actually literally lifted his leg, because he, he's paralyzed here, and he lifted his leg up onto a chair, and it took a lot of grunt and energy to do so. But if you could pray for, um, for Lauren as he goes through that, and pray that, he, that a, an opportunity will open up for him to get into a rehab that will help speed things up. So those are two, two prayer items. I feel that it's important that I take time from my preaching to tell us as a church to pray for them. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to preach probably part of my message, and then I'll come back next week and preach the other part, and then that means that we're going to miss a part in uh, John from preaching, which is too bad, but that's okay. Um, because this stuff, I think, is, is, is important of what we have to say. And, and so we're going to go a little bit longer, and kids may get a little wiggly in your seat, and you can wiggle all you want in your seat, um, because I'm okay with that. Uh, so let me get this going. Here we go. Um, so here we are, uh, John chapter one or chapter three. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, I'm not going to put up the scripture verse, but if you'll turn up, turn in your Bibles to John chapter three, 
And you're going to find John chapter 3, it's going to be almost completely through your Bible. You're going to go past Hebrews. If you get to um, Revelation, you've gone too far, go back a few pages and you will find it in John. Now, if you got there on your phone, you just type in John chapter, First uh, John chapter 3 and you will get there. So we're going to start in verse 1 here. I'm going to read it from the, uh, the English Standard Version this morning and we'll start in verse 1. Here we are. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Isn't that good? Amen? We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we will know that, know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I, I didn't even, I, my message doesn't even have that verse in there, but that is, a, that is an incredible verse to study. That is an exciting verse for us as believers. This here, this body that you know doesn't, doesn't, work as well when you get older. It begins to fail you. You break bones. You have strokes. This body isn't going to be like it is now. And yet, it's going to have some appearance. We're, gonna, we're, we're still born of our, our, our parents. And that identity is still going to be there. But it's going to be transformed. It's going to be like Christ, like his transformed body. I don't know exactly what that is, but I am looking forward to that time. And here's the thing, is that when you read in Scripture, we will meet him. I know he comes down, we read in Scripture, that he comes down from heaven. As he comes down from heaven, when you read that, what does it say? We will meet him in the air. We go to him. And then at one point in time, this whole world that we live on is going to be recreated. That's exciting. What's it going to look like? Well, go back to the Garden of Eden and look at the Garden of Eden and read what is in there and you will see that it is beautiful, it is wonderful, and it worships God. That's crazy. Okay, there's so much in there. At some point in time, we'll have to explore what this looks like and when what it looks like for you and I to find ourselves in a place where we are looking forward to the return of Christ and the resurrection and what that is. And that it, it, it isn't that we're going to spend eternity in heaven, but it's eternity here. That's crazy. So heaven is a great place, but it's not my final resting place. It's not your final resting place. Okay, um, where was I? Verse three? Great, thank you. And everyone who, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone makes, who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous, and whoever makes a practice of sinning is, the devil, is of the devil. For the devil 
has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son has appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of, of God makes a practice of sinning. For God... Oh, I lost my place there. For God... Seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Isn't there a lot in there? There's so much in there. So here's the thing. Here's my big idea that I want us to get. The big idea is this, is that we are born of God. We are born of God. Just like you were born and you took on your family name, so we are born of God and we take on his name and we take on his likeness. And here it is, is that when we are born of God and we take on his name, then you and I should desire to practice righteousness so that we are like our father. That's my big idea that I want us to, to understand. Um, how many have been on a blind date before? Huh? One? Oh, Two? Three, okay, all right, we got a few, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> all right, okay, I have been on a blind date. Literally, I have been on a blind date, and this is the way it went. Um, I was in high school, and I was working on my cars back in the day, in the old, old days, where you had carburetors on vehicles. And uh, I'd taken my carburetor off, I'd taken it into, into to shop class, and um, and I took it apart, and I put it in some, to clean it up, to get it going again, because my car wasn't running well. I put it in some carburetor fluid. I left it there for 24 hours. I went the next day after, after classes were over, and I went to take it out of the bucket of carburetor solution. And it had a handle on this side, and the handle was broken on the other side. So I put a screwdriver in the, into a little hole there, and I started to lift the bucket up. And as I did, it slipped. I actually wasn't holding it too tight this way. Anyways, the whole thing slipped out of my hands. It went back down into the solution, and I'm over it like this. Boom! The solution goes into my eyes. And so I'm in, there, I'm, I'm in a room that's supposed to be a fireproof room, and it's also a soundproof room too. And I'm calling for help, and I turn around, and I kind of make my way to the door. I get it open. I call for help. The teacher comes, takes me over, flushes my eye out. I go over to the doctor's office, and they look at my eyes, and he says, yeah, I think you're going to be okay. But hey, puts on these two patches onto my eyes. And you need to wear these for 24 hours and come back and see me. Problem was, is that I had a date that night. (laughs) And so... I didn't know what to do. My parents hand me a phone. I'm sure it was a rotary phone. Hand me the phone. And uh, I I call up Gail and I say, Gail, uh, this is what happened. I can't go on a date tonight. And she goes, no way. We're going to go on a date. We're going to go on a blind date. So we went out on a blind date. I had finger food, everything I could eat with my fingers. You know, try it today. When you go home and you eat, you can close your eyes and you know exactly where your mouth is. And I, I ate everything that way. It was fantastic. It was great. And went the next day, took the patches off, and I could see again there was no permanent damage, I don't think. 
Um, but I've been on a blind date. What does that mean? I just wanted to get your attention. It means nothing. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it, it, it actually is this. Uh, that it's that first part where he says, see. See what is good. See what is good. Let us not be blind. Let us not be blind. Because the, this Greek word see is a very interesting word. It's, this, it's a word that's used in a rhetorical question of surprise. So it's like, what is this? Or what just happened here? And it's like, you know what just happened here. It's what you find in Matthew chapter 8, verse, verses uh, 27. Verse 27. And it's when Jesus stills the water and the disciples, they look at Jesus and they say, what kind of man is this? Totally surprised at what they've just experienced, but they know it's him. And, and John is using the same word, the same terminology to say, see, see, be surprised. Be surprised with how great God's love is. He's lavished it on us. Be surprised by God's love. We're, we'll dive a little bit into that next week. I know we will. But be surprised by God's love. God's love should ruin us. When you stop and think about his love, love, agape love, love that looks at you and says, I love you. That love, when you stand in the mirror and you literally will stand in the mirror and, and, and you will look at yourself, not the, you know, put the makeup on, I do that all the time, not the comb your hair, I do that all the time. But to look in the mirror at yourself, you know yourself, don't you? You can fool yourself some of the time, but not all the time. You know the thoughts you have, you know the sins you do. That you, God says, I love you. That you, he has penetrated into that you. There is no boundaries that his love does not know. That's why it is complete. There are no boundaries. It is comprehensive. There are no crooks or crannies in your life that his love cannot reach, will not reach, if you will open yourself up to it. And it is all-consuming. It penetrates. It penetrates. That's why we love to hear the stories of someone who didn't know Jesus and was living a scoundrel life and they come to know Jesus and they are the big burly person and they fall on their knees and they come to know Jesus because he can penetrate the hardest of hearts. And the person who is the blindest of blinds, that's why his love should ruin us. Not to be the same, not to act the same, not to be the same, but to be different. That's why he says, see how great the Father's love is to us? It should ruin us. It really should. Dallas Willard says this, when you love something, you are prompted to act for what is good 
you, excuse me, you, let me read it here. When you love something, you are prepared to act for what is good for that thing you love. Think about the things you love apart from God. Okay? Think about, if you're a parent here, I would ask the children, you know, think about your, your, your parent, but maybe, maybe it doesn't quite translate that. But as a parent, it does. Think about your child. What will you do for your child? Where will you go? What will you do for your child that you love? Think about a pet. Think about a parent. If you have a good relationship with your parents, I do. What will I do? Okay, then you think about this. When you love something, you are prepared to act for what is good for that thing you love. Think about what God has done because he has loved us. How far did he go? What did he do? He spared nothing because he loved us. Why do we need to look at this love in this way? Because we need to be affected by it so that we can live by this, that we're prepared to do anything, everything, because we are so in love with God, because he's so in love with us. If we could just rest there, if we could just stop there for a moment, Matter of fact, I am. I'm going to stop there. And I want you to think, and I want to just take a few moments, and I want you to think about his love for you. If you have walked with God for many, many years, what does it, what does it mean? What does that love mean? What has he done? If you are new in this, what does it mean? What has he done? We're going to end there today. And we're going to end first just by us sitting here for a moment or two and considering that. If you're at home, just pause and consider that. His love, his great love, he has lavished on you. Let's take a few moments. Father, there are many times in my life that I can look back on and I can recognize that I have loved something. I have placed something in a position that is greater than you. I have not loved you 
in the way that I should love you. I have not allowed your love to ruin me. And I think of those verses that talk about how great your love is. No greater love than anyone than they lay down his life for his brother or sister. Or how, God, you loved us before we first loved you. Or how you instructed Jesus that we are to love our enemies because, Lord, you demonstrated that, Jesus, by loving your enemies. Lord, as a church, I pray that we will learn what it means to love. So that we can love others. And so by doing that, Lord, we are being your children. Children who are born of you. Father, as a church, you know that we're on a journey. We don't know, Lord, where or what things will look like. But we do know that you are the head of this church. And we ask, God, that we would find ourselves just resting in you, the arms of our loving Heavenly Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thank you as a church that I think the desire is is that we will journey together um, even on a Sunday where we make adjustments and I appreciate that so I want to I want to end by giving you a benediction and then asking you to use some muscles. Um, benediction is this. As you go this week, may you go desiring to know the love of God. How deep, how wide, how high, how long God's love is. And I want to encourage you not to journey alone. For you and I can never know how deep, how wide, how long, how high the love of God is without somebody along with us. We need people to journey with us. So I want to send us out desiring to be ruined by his love and to do it as a family of God. And so by doing church, we will be his light. We will be his life to this world. Amen?